So for the next several weeks, like I said, we're going to be studying the book of Galatians. And uh, it's good every once in a while to actually go through a book. I mean, we've been doing topical for the last uh, few weeks here, studying the spiritual disciplines. But now we're going to just uh, go verse by verse through uh, uh, this little book uh, called uh, Galatians. It's one of Paul's letters, and he wrote it to a, a church that was in the region of Galatia there in the first century. So let's ask the question, why study the book of Galatians? Why study this book? Well, the book of Galatians is like a little bomb. Short little book, six chapters, and it's like a punchy little bomb. There's dynamite in it. And whenever this book has been studied throughout church history, it always brings explosive change. So just to give you an example, uh, in the late 1730s, uh, there was a small group of believers that were, uh, they were, they were seekers. They, uh, they, they wanted to know God. They wanted to experience the reality of God. And uh, this, this little group, actually, it, 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 it exploded. They did find God, and they exploded into this huge movement. And historians call it the Great Awakening. It was on both sides of the Atlantic, in, uh, in England as well as in the U.S. I mean, it exploded, and there was life change and social renewal and the church, uh, conversions, everything. It was this amazing time of history. But way, way back at the beginning of that movement, as this little group of people were seeking God, uh, one of them in this little group got a hold of Martin Luther's uh, preface to the book of Galatians. Martin Luther has a commentary on the book of Galatians, and in it there's distilled the essence of the message of this book. Well, uh, they got a hold of this, and uh, this guy, William Holland, uh, read it, and it changed everything for him. And so he got his friend John Wesley and said, you've got to read what's in this book. And so uh, uh, William Holland read the preface out loud to, Martin, to uh, John Wesley. And as they read Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians, something exploded there. And this is what William Holland, this is how he describes it. He says, as, as Charles Wesley read the preface aloud, there came such a power over me as I cannot well describe, my great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love that I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw my Savior. My companions, seeing me so affected, fell on their knees and prayed. Afterwards, when I went out into the street, I could scarcely feel the ground that I tread upon. So this, I mean, it was life-changing for him. The message of this book, it just exploded. It changed his life forever. And so he did what any rational person would do. He took the preface, Martin Luther's commentary on the Galatians, and he would go from house to house and read it out loud to anybody who would listen. And in fact, it was uh, Charles Wesley, he heard it one night as, as uh, Holland was reading it, and that's when um, uh, John, uh, John Wesley said this famous quote, my heart was strangely warmed, and I felt that I did trust Christ alone for salvation. The book of Galatians is a bomb. There's dynamite in it. And if we will get it into our hearts, if we will get it into our minds, if we'll allow it to break into our lives, it will explode and change in joy and in growth in our lives. Because the book of Galatians, it's about the gospel. The main message of Galatians is the message of the gospel. And it's, it's a distillation, it's an argument, it's an explanation of the most basic message of the Christian faith, which is grace, which is the idea that God accepts us into his family based upon the work of Christ. 
And so uh, the book of Galatians about the gospel, as it breaks into our lives, it will change everything. Now, somebody says, well, Brent, uh, I've got a problem with that because I'm already a Christian. You know, I've already trusted Christ for my salvation. I've already heard the gospel. I already know the gospel. I'm already past that. Why do I need the book of Galatians? Well, here's the interesting thing. The book of Galatians is a book about the gospel written to people who are already Christians. It's a book where Paul explains the gospel and it's written to people who profess already to believe the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but I normally think, well, the gospel is something for non-Christians. You know, you know, preach the gospel to people outside of the church, but the book of Galatians is a book about the gospel written to people who already believe it. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us that no matter where we are, whether we're an unbeliever or a believer, whether we've been a Christian for zero years or five years or 10 years or 20 years, we all still need to hear the gospel. In other words, the gospel is not simply the ABCs of the Christian life. The gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. Whether you're just starting out or been a Christian for a long time, what you need over and over again is to understand the gospel. You need to get this bomb in your heart so that it explodes because none of us believe it as much as we should. None of us have really gotten it deep enough. And so the book of Galatians is for us. It's for Christians. It's for all of us who, even though we've already believed it, we need to hear it again and again and again. Because we have a problem. Our hearts naturally veer away from the most basic message. Our hearts naturally veer away from the gospel. And, uh, you know, it's almost like we're a car out of alignment. You know, we hear the gospel, and yet slowly we begin to move away from the basic message of grace. And so we need to be called back over and over and over again. So today I'm going to look at the uh, first few verses of the book of Galatians. And what we're going to see is that this was their problem too. Uh, Paul writes the book because these believers had moved away from the gospel. Uh, Paul had started the church, excuse me, they believed the gospel. And yet after a very short time here, they had started to move away, veered off from God's grace into works righteousness. And so Paul writes the book to confront this problem. So I want us to see three things this morning. Uh, Number one, we're going to see the problem in the Galatian church. Second of all, we're going to see the fruit of the problem. What was this problem doing in this church, in their lives? And then finally, we're going to see the solution. So three things, the problem, the fruit of the problem, and the solution. So first, let's look at the problem. And we'll uh, begin in verse uh, 6. Where Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you to the, in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if, an angel, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now we say again, If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be cursed. So first we see Paul confronts the problem. What's interesting is in most of Paul's letters, he begins with a thanksgiving and a, you know, thank you for, you know, what God is doing in the church. There's none of that here. Paul is, he's, he's angry as he starts the letter. He's, uh, he's astonished. He can't believe what's going on because there's a problem in the church. And what was the problem? The problem was uh, Paul, after he had, he had planted the church and moved on, 
in Paul's wake, false teachers had moved in. And uh, we read about these teachers all the way through the, the New Testament. They're often called the Judaizers. And what they were were Jewish Christian missionaries. And what they said was this. They said, you know, Paul's message of grace was good. It, it, what wasn't it? Paul's message of grace sounded so amazing. And it sounded so good. And the reason is, it is good, but it's too good. In fact, it's too good to be true. They said, you can't be accepted by God by doing nothing. If you want to be sons and daughters of Abraham, you need to get to work, they said. And specifically, they said, you need to obey the Mosaic legislation. They were Jewish. So in other words, they said, if you want to be uh, sons and daughters of Abraham, you've got to do what the sons and daughters of Abraham have always done. You need to be circumcised, and you need to keep the ritual moral law. You need to keep Torah. In other words, uh, they weren't against what Paul, they weren't against faith in Christ, but they were adding to faith in Christ. If you want to be accepted by God, they said, you need to not only believe in Jesus, but you need to add, it's, it's faith in Christ plus circumcision and obedience to the moral and ritual law. Now, somebody says, well, what, what's wrong with this? I mean, Paul is certainly angry. I mean, circumcision, is, I mean, I'm circumcised. <laughs> We're all, I shouldn't say that, I'm sorry. That's super weird. Man, I've been off for a couple weeks and I say weird things. Many of us are circumcised. Oh, man, that was super weird. Oh, man. What's wrong with circumcision? I mean, not much. <laughs> What's wrong with Torah? I mean, it's, it's good, right? I mean, the, the law is good, and, and I mean, rituals, I mean, it's, we don't, I mean, it's what not so, why is Paul so upset here? And the key is, it's not so much that, uh, you know, keeping the law or circumcision is bad in and of itself, is it that he, they were teaching them that they needed to rely on these things for acceptance. Now, I want, you to, I want to point out a word here. Paul says in verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and, listen, distort or pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, the word distort there is a really important word. Because what it, it's it's a it's a the the, the translators uh, are translating a Greek word that literally means to reverse. And so here's what Paul says here. This is what these teachers are doing. This is what's so bad about what they're saying. They are reversing the gospel. They're they're turning it inside out. They're making it backwards. They're reversing the order. Now here's this is so important. There is a particular order to the gospel. There's a logic to the gospel. And what these teachers were doing is they were reversing the logic. They were, they were getting it out of order. And so in other words, uh, this is what they were saying. They were saying, uh, Paul said this. He said, here's the order. You believe in Jesus, you're accepted by God, and therefore you obey. Here's the order. Here's what they said. You believe in Jesus, you obey and therefore, you're accepted. Do you see the subtle difference there? In other words, is it, I believe in Jesus, and I, and I obey, and I clean my life up, and then God accepts me? Or is it, God accepts me, and then I obey? It's such a subtle difference, but this reversal changes everything. In fact, Paul says that when they reverse the gospel, 
it's no longer a gospel. When you switch the order there, it's no longer good news. Now, why is that? It's because you are adding something. You are putting a requirement in there for God to accept you. You're saying, look, if you want God to accept you, it's good for God to accept you. But if you want God to accept you as his son or his daughter, you need to believe, but you also need to X, Y, Z, whether it's circumcision, Torah, or anything else. When you add a requirement in there, when you reverse the gospel, it changes everything, and it's no longer a gospel. It's no longer good news. Because the gospel is meant to be free. The acceptance that God gives us, this is where the explosion is. This is where the bomb is at. This is where the dynamite is. Is the fact that God, based upon what he has done for you, freely accepts you. No requirements, nothing added. It is all yours. It is all free. There is nothing that you do. It's a gift. And what they were saying was, no, 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 no. Sort of free, sort of not. You got to add something in there, and then you're accepted. One of the best examples uh, I've, I could think of about this was, uh, it came from my old church. And, uh, you know, back in California, I was, you know, when you're back in your hometown, you start reflecting on your old church. And so I was thinking about where I came from and my roots, and I started reading the origin of the Calvary Chapel movement, which is the movement that I came out of. And it all started with this pastor. His name was Chuck Smith. Some of you may have heard of him. Um, he, was, he, was, he was pastoring a small church. He was in his 40s, about 45 years old. And uh, he was, he, the, they weren't reaching anybody. The, nobody was accepting the gospel. Nobody was changing. And so he went out, and he was praying one day, and he was out on Huntington Beach Pier, and he saw there a group of hippies. Now, some of you are way too young to even know about hippies, but they're different than hipsters, okay? Uh, hipsters are short hair, glasses, and artistic, and uh, some of you are hipsters probably. Hippies have long hair, they wore bell bottoms, and they smelled bad. <laughs> they did drugs. We saw these hippies there on the beach in Huntington, and so he started praying for them, and he felt like, you know, God wants me to reach these kids. And so he started developing relationships with, with them, him and his wife. And uh, they met one, they met two, they met a couple, a group of them, and slowly but surely, these hippies started to accept Jesus. And they were being converted. And Chuck Smith wanted to bring them into his church. And so uh, he, he, one day he went to the elders and said, look, you wouldn't believe this, but these hippies are being converted, and I want them to come into the church. And the elder says, oh, that's great, but don't bring them in now. They're dirty, and some of them smell like cigarettes. And, of course, they don't dress right. Great, they've accepted Jesus, but now we want you to clean them up, and then we'll accept them into our church. And, Paul, and Chuck Smith said, no, they're coming in now. Why? Because he was saying, he was, he, was, he was holding on to the gospel. He was saying, look, the gospel is absolutely free, no requirements. And you're switching the order on me, is what he would say to them. We accept them free of charge. We, we, we bring them in just the way God accepts them based on faith and nothing else. And then maybe afterwards they'll take a, take a bath. You see, maybe afterwards you clean yourself up. You see, the order absolutely matters. The or, there's a logic to the gospel. And it's not believe, obey, and then you're accepted. It's believe, you're absolutely accepted, and then you obey. And this is what's going on in the Galatian church. These Gentiles, these dirty, smelly Gentiles are getting converted. 
And the Jews were like, well, that's great, but first let's get them circumcised, let's get them keeping their ritual law, let's get them cleaned up a little bit, and then we'll let them in. And Paul says, no, you're reversing the gospel. This gospel is absolutely free. You let them in based on faith alone and nothing else. Now, for all of us, uh, you know, this, this is a problem. This is not only a Galatian problem, this is, this is an us problem. Because all of us subtly try to add to the gospel. Uh, there are, we almost have an inner legalist that says, look, faith in Christ is okay, but you also need to have this requirement or that requirement before God will accept you. The gospel plus. The gospel plus having your kids all in order. The gospel plus being uh, an A student when it comes to church attendance. The gospel plus having a good moral record. The gospel plus whatever it might be, having a great job, being a diligent person. And, and look, all, there's nothing wrong with having a good job or being a diligent person or having your kids in order, obviously. But what's wrong is when you look to those things to gain acceptance with God. We're always trying to dilute the gospel and put some requirements in there. And what Paul says is, no, you're reversing it. Make sure that you don't reverse it. Keep the order right. It is Jesus Christ plus nothing equals acceptance and not the other way around. And like I said, we are all like cars out of alignment. We naturally do this. Uh, Tim Keller puts it like this. Uh, Where does he put it like this? Uh, Here, this is where he puts it like this. He says, we love to be our own saviors. Our hearts love to manufacture glory for themselves. So we find messages of self-salvation extremely attractive. Whether they are religious, keep these rules and you'll earn eternal eternal blessing, or secular, grab hold of these things and you'll be experienced blessing now. You see, what Tim Keller's saying is that all of us naturally veer into achievement salvation. All of us, we, want, we have works, right? We have achievements. We feel good about ourselves. We want them to count. We want our achievements to count before God and others. And so we're, we're always in danger of moving away from the gospel. But be careful, Paul says. This will bite you. The good news will no longer be good news. That's the problem. Let's see what the problem was doing in the Galatian church. Because uh, if you reverse the gospel, there's always going to be consequences. Whenever you reverse the order, it's always going to show up in your life. And notice what it was doing to the Galatians. Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who, he says, trouble you and want to distort the gospel. Interesting word, the word trouble. And the word trouble, again, it's, it's very important. To, literally, it means that they're, they're shake, it means to shake, or it means to agitate, or it means to excite to the point of perplexity and fear. So in other words, what Paul says is when you reverse the order, it always brings trouble. It always shakes you up. It always makes you agitated. It always brings perplexity and fear. And it troubles you, think about it, it troubles you on the inside, You know, whenever you reverse the gospel, whenever you're unsure that God accepts you because you're, you know, mixing it with all these other achievement things, it always makes you internally tormented. Does God accept me? Does he not accept me? Have I been good enough? I don't know. And so you're struggling on the inside. And you're wondering all the time, am I good enough? 
There's almost like this exhausting, you know, treadmill of trying to prove yourself to God. And it really, it, it's frustrating, you know, and, and you always feel slightly insecure. Am I really right? Am I really okay? And Paul says, this is what's happening to you. They're coming in and they're, they're adding all these requirements and it's tearing you up on the inside. You know, imagine, you know, imagine in your, in your uh, relationship with your spouse. If you said, you know what, um, we're married, but if you really want me to accept you, you need to have, you know, pick up your underwear off the floor, stop watching football on TV every night, and, we have, and have a really good job, right? That's on the male side or something. I accept you, but you also need to do this. Well, you're always going to be insecure with your, with your relationship with your spouse. Am I good enough? Do they really accept me? Am I really okay? And when you do this with your relationship with God, it tears you up because you really never know if God loves you and accepts you. See, the gospel's supposed to be free. You're supposed to know for sure that God loves you and accepts you because of Jesus Christ, not you. And so when you mix up the order, it, it makes you internally fractured. Uh, Martin Luther, I mentioned him at the beginning, but he was, this, this is what was going on in his life. He was an old uh, uh, theologian in church history, and he was an Augustine monk, Augustine, Augustinian monk. And uh, he, was, uh, he was at the University of Wittenberg, and his uh, confessor, his vicar general, was this m- man named Johann von Stoppitz, say that fast. And uh, he, he, the confessor general, the, the vicar general, is somebody that you would confess your sins to. So Martin Luther was, had to go to him to confess his sins. And uh, Johann von Stoppitz began to notice that Martin Luther began to come and confess sins sometimes for six hours a day. Every single day. I mean, Martin Luther was a sensitive soul. And so whenever he did any little tiny thing wrong, it tore him up inside. Does God still love me? I don't know. I'm going to confess everything. Even things that I didn't do. And once, at one point, uh, Johann von Stoppet says, Martin Luther, it's almost like you consider every little fart a sin. Sorry you heard that in church. This is becoming a weird sermon. <laughs> but this, this, this is history. This is what he said. And this is what Martin Luther himself said. He said, I, I'm, I was myself more than once driven to the very abyss of despair so that I wished I had never been created. Love God? I hated him. I could never be good enough. And I was trying and trying, but my kids never got in order. And I was trying and trying, but I kept on falling into this old sin. And I kept trying and trying. God could never accept me. I'm not good enough. He was torn up inside. And some of you know exactly what that's like. And Paul says, you need to stop reversing the gospel. You're accepted. You're a son and daughter of God. And it doesn't matter how obedient you've been. It doesn't matter how good or bad you've been. God's acceptance is free. In other words, your justification does not depend upon your sanctification. And your sanctification, which is justification is what? Acceptance. Sanctification is your growth and holiness. And your justification is apart from your growth. And if it was, you'd be justified one day when you're doing great and not justified the other day. And your life would be a roller coaster. And Paul says, look, you're reversing the gospel. It's troubling you. You think you're justified based on how good you do or or how well you keep the law. That's not the way it should be. It's free. It's going to tear you up internally. But it also, when you reverse the gospel, it it, it tears you up externally. There's external trouble as well. 
you know, when the, the Galatian, uh, the false teachers came in and they started reversing the gospel, it began to cause trouble among relationships in the church. And this always happens when you reverse the gospel. It screws up your relationships. Why? It's because you're, you're insecure, right? Does God really love me? Am I really okay? And so you start to prove yourself. And then what happens? You get defensive. And you start hiding and you turn fake. And you begin to get judgmental. Some of you have been in some of these legalistic churches where everybody's earning and everybody's on this exhausting treadmill to prove themselves. And relationships are bad and they're fake and everybody's hiding. Because nobody knows if they're really okay, if they're really accepted. Here's a great quote. This is a long quote alert. It's going to be a very long quote. So good, though. Please uh, read it with me and listen. It's going to come up on the screen. This is Richard Loveless. He says, In their day-to-day existence, many Christians rely on their sanctification for their justification. Right? So they're going up and down. Drawing their assurance for their acceptance from, with God from their sincerity, their past experience of conversion, their recent religious performance, or the relative infrequency of their conscious, willful disobedience. Christians who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them in Jesus, apart from their spiritual achievements, are subconsciously radically insecure persons, much less secure than, than even non-Christians. Their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce defensive assertion of their own righteousness, and defensive criticism of others. Been in churches like that? They come naturally to hate other cultural styles and other races in order to bolster their own security and discharge their suppressed anger. They cling desperately to legal, pharisaical righteousness, but envy, jealousy, and all other branches of the tree of sin grow out of that fundamental insecurity. So here's what the gospel gives us. It gives us cosmic security. You are accepted by God. And it's not based upon your achievement or your work or how good you do. It's free. But if you lose that, it makes you cosmically insecure, which then makes you defensive and judgmental and angry. And think about what a toxic environment that creates when you lose the gospel in a church setting. And some of you have been there too. So it tr- when you lose the order, it troubles you on the inside. It troubles a community. But it also, it, it, it troubles your relationship with God himself. Notice what Paul says here. He says, I'm astonished that you're quickly deserting who? You're deserting him. It's not just that you're leaving the doctrine. When you reverse the order, you're actually moving away from God himself. Because listen, God is not a God who makes bargains with us. God is not a God who says, you work for me. Oh, and then I owe you, and then I'm going to get you back. And you work for me, and then I'll get you back. This is not the way it works with God. The way you come to the Christian God is you say, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. The only way to come to God is by grace. And so as soon as you lose grace, you lose God. And you see this in the New Testament, right? I mean, you see the only people, uh, or most of the people who didn't like Jesus were who? The people with all their works in their hands. Oh, we don't like him. He accepts everybody. And so often, it's our damnable good works that keep us from Jesus. And as soon as they left grace, they were moving away from God. So Paul says, they're troubling you. Don't you see what this is doing to you? You need to keep the order right. This is where the explosive is. This is where the dynamite is. Free acceptance. God loves me. I know that he loves me. I'm deeply 
cosmically secure. This is where it is. And Paul says, you're moving away from this, and it's troubling you. Final point, well, what's the solution? How do we make sure that we don't move away from the gospel? Well, the answer is maybe study the book of Galatians, this book about the gospel. But notice, I want you to notice here uh, how Paul is, how Paul is, treating this problem, what he does. And it's pretty obvious he goes after it. Paul will not tolerate lack of grace. He won't tolerate it. He says, I'm astonished. There's no way. I'm not going to let this happen. He says, even if an angel of God preaches to you another gospel, tries to move you away from grace, grace you kick him out on his celestial bottom. I don't care who it is. He says, this is serious stuff. Paul is vigilant about keeping them anchored in grace. He says, he says I'm not going to let you move away from that. Now, many of us know to be vigilant about sin. You know, we need to be vigilant about, you know, all of these bad things. But are you just as vigilant about legalism? Are you like Paul, who's astonished and angry and can't believe it, and saying, I can't move away from grace, from the gospel? This is a big deal for him. Uh, one of my uh, favorite stories of, is of John Piper. He's another preacher in uh, Minneapolis. And when he first took his Baptist church, on the uh, membership requirements, it, one of them was you can't drink alcohol. And I think another one was you can't smoke cigarettes. And John Piper was like, I want those out. And they were like, well, Come on, this is, you're making too big of a deal out of this. You want them out. Isn't it safer to peop, for people just not to touch that stuff? And he says, no, 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 I am guarding against legalism. It's just as dangerous to add requirements to somebody's acceptance as it is to deviate into sin. Being a Pharisee is sometimes even a greater danger than being a hedonist. And so Paul says, you've got to be vigilant about it. You need to recognize when you're moving away from it. And then you need, some, you need a Paul in your life who will tell you when you're moving away from God's grace. You know, like all of us, we're like cars out of alignment. Is your spouse keeping you in check? Is your, are you keeping your spouse in check? Are you some of your friends in check to see when they're moving away? Uh, when we were in California, uh, we were driving in our car, me and Anita. And in California, all the city names are Spanish. And so we saw Santa Anita. And I looked at Anita. Santa Anita means Saint Anita. And so I looked at Anita and I said, you're my Santa Anita. So cheesy, I know. Totally cheesy. <laughs> you're my Santa Anita. And Anita rolled her eyes and she says, I'm no saint. And I said, oh yes, you are. In fact, the Bible says that your sainthood is a gift. All of us in Jesus are called into God's grace, into sainthood. Saint Jared. Saint Megan. It doesn't matter what you've done. The acceptance of God is an absolute gift. And I was keeping my wife from veering away from that. And she keeps me in check too. Are we reminding, are we preaching the gospel to each other? We all still need it. This is not just for non-Christians. All of us need to know that we're acceptance to get rid of that cosmic insecurity.
And so are we, are, are we reminding ourselves of the gospel? Are we preaching the dynamite to ourselves? And that's what we're going to do for the next several weeks. And I know this may seem remedial to many of you. It's going to seem like the ABCs. But I'm telling you that none of us really understand the gospel deep enough. And God's grace is the message that we need from beginning to end. And so what Martin Luther said is he says, my job as a minister is not only to preach the gospel, but to beat it into my people's heads continually. God's grace, God's grace, God's grace. And so that's what we're gonna do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, the book of Galatians, this, this dynamite, this explosive, uh, punchy little book. I pray that as we study, as we go through, I pray that we would um, sense again the joy that comes from knowing that we are freely accepted, that we are sons and daughters of God, not based upon our achievements, what we do, but based simply upon your grace. I pray that it would heal us. I pray for those who are struggling with a sense of maybe self-hatred or a sense of despair. Those of us who maybe have become judgmental and angry, Lord, we pray that your gospel, your grace would heal us and explode in our lives. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.